This is Chad Harrington, publisher at Hymn Publications, and I preached a sermon recently at Harpeth Christian Church called Abiding Humbly with Christ, and I wanted to share it with you because it has to do with my book with Jim Putman called The Revolutionary Disciple. I wanted you to take a listen. I also want you to check out our book, The Revolutionary Disciple. It's called, the subtitle is Walking Humbly with Christ in Every Sphere of Life. Would love for you to check it out and give us some feedback. We also have a whole sermon series for a six-week series um, for any church to go through. And that's actually what both Jim and I are doing with our churches right now. Um, Jim's a lead pastor. I'm a deacon of teaching at Harpeth Christian. And both of our churches are doing a five- and six-week series on The Revolutionary Disciple. So you can learn more at therevolutionarydisciple.com. So that's it. Take a listen to the sermon. Thank you. I'm Chad Harrington, and I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 10 this morning. That was kind of intense, wasn't it? (laughs) We're going to start a series today called The Revolutionary Disciple, and I'm excited to share with you the first of these messages called Abiding Humbly in Christ. And it's this is the first of the five spheres of discipleship, which you'll come to understand over the weeks. Each Sunday for the next month, we're going to cover one of these spheres. And so the first one is abiding in Christ, and it's represented by the flag in the middle that overlaps with the church sphere, the home sphere, the world sphere. And then this, the area of life, kind of the, the realm that encapsulates all of them is the spiritual realm. And so we'll unpack each of these over the next month. When we talk about abiding in Christ, that term can be a little bit nebulous sometimes, a little confusing, right? Like, what, is, what does it mean exactly? Um, and look, it can go deep, but it can also be very simple. And so the simple meaning of abiding in Christ is to simply stay connected and to not leave. That's it. Like when it says remain in Christ, it just means don't leave. It actually can be that simple. And so when we abide or remain, we're connected to Christ, but we don't want to just stay and obey, right? We want more out of our relationship with Christ. And as I've examined my life over the years, and even recently, I've been listening to people in this church And I keep hearing, I want more intimacy with God. And so if we want that intimacy with God and God wants it with us, then why don't we always experience it like we want it? My message today seeks to answer that question and to simply say this, humility leads to intimacy with God. 
So let's talk about what keeps us from this humility that leads to intimacy with God. First, if you're like me, I can sometimes get afraid of spending time alone with God because it's like, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to ask me to do? I mean, really, it's like, whew, I know I've got stuff to deal with. I just don't want to deal with it, right? So we've got these skeletons in the closet that we know about, and then there's ones we don't know about, and we know that God knows about them. We're like, okay, that might be a little too much to handle. I'll just drink my coffee and get on with the day, right? We're actually afraid, but when this happens, we forget that God's good. And the truth is that we should not be afraid of spending time with God because of what he might do to us or in us. If we draw near to him, what we should really be afraid of is if we don't allow him into those places and spaces in our lives of vulnerability where he can actually deal with it. Because the truth is, we can't keep the door closed on our secrets. They will come out one way or another. And it's best to abide with Christ intimately and allow him into that. And Christ offers us freedom from fear of intimacy. Second, we can run into this feeling of being stuck. You know, here's what I mean. If we take a step back and we look at our discipleship journey, we started strong oftentimes with obeying the call to follow Christ. And we're starting to grasp and live into this commission to make disciples of Christ. But oftentimes we feel kind of stuck in between on the journey, between the call and the commission. And it's like we're not making progress. And so we're just kind of saying, well, at least I'm here, you know, which is true. That's good. But Christ offers us a way to get unstuck and to make progress. And third, as we're talking about what keeps us from intimacy with God as we abide in Christ, is pride. And this is below the surface. If you can imagine it, it's deeper to me than fear and a feeling of being stuck. And I think there's some deep dynamics going on at a heart level. And I want to talk about those with you today. So if you'll allow me to go there with you, I want to share with you a message that I believe can be liberating for you. And so there's this mixture, if we're talking about pride today, like in our culture, there's this kind of mixture of confusion about authority, submission, and what humility really is. And so let's talk about each of those. The first is, sometimes we forget that Christ has authority and it's not a small detail. We can easily read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and skip right from verse 18 to verse 19 that says, go and make disciples. But we forget that verse 18 starts with Christ saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Christ is not just teacher, but he's king of the universe. My three-year-old daughter, Emma, loves stories. So she asked me before nap time this Tuesday, tell me a story about Jesus. It was just kind of like one word. Tell me a story about Jesus. So I told Emma the story of 
you kind of run out of these stories right on the spot. It's like, okay, um, let's go to Acts. There's something about Jesus there too. So I told Emma the story of Saul on the Damascus road where Jesus speaks to Saul. And I finished the short version of the story. It was nap time after all. And this was a bonus, um, bonus story. And, and then, then she said, tell me the rest of the story. So I said, well, Paul went throughout the whole world at that time and shared the gospel and students of Jesus popped up all around the world. I said, Emma, did you know Jesus was a teacher? And by this time she's walking around the room and she goes, no, he's king. (laughs) And I was like, all right, touche, Emma, touche. It was a good reminder that Jesus isn't just teacher, that he's king and he's not just any king. He's king of the cosmos. Second, I think we forget, in light of Christ's authority, what we're called to as part of discipleship is submission. So when you look at the essentials of what a disciple is, a disciple is essentially a learner. And this means that a disciple by nature submits to their instruction and authority of the teacher, the one under whom they are learning. And so... We must be humble in order to submit to any person. And it's not just at our baptism or in one area of our lives. We're called to humbly submit to Christ in every area of life, in the five spheres of discipleship. And to his delegated authorities in those spheres, because he delegates his authority to us as people. And so when we're abiding in Christ, when we're living in the church sphere, not only on Sunday mornings, but in groups during the week, when we're living out in the world where we live, work, and play, and when we are aware of the spiritual realm all around us every day, we need humility that comes in terms of submission. And I think the third element that gets stuck is that we easily forget what humility in the way of Christ actually looks like. You know, I can say that of all the sins I've struggled with in my life, pride has been the most insidious, sneaky sin to me. It's tough to identify a lot of times in my heart, and it's usually after I do something else, or think something else, or say something, I'm like, Oh, that was going on here, and it was pride. You know, I, I, and I confessed that earlier this year from this stage that I struggle with pride, and it's been one of my major issues in life, one of my core weaknesses. So as someone who has struggled with this, but is on the path of recovery, I can say that while God has shown me my sin, he's also shown me that there's a way out. We don't have to live in that. We are free, as we sang, free from sin, including the, the deepest ones of the heart. And so over the last 20 years of my life, I've thought about this issue of pride. And I mean that. It's been since I was a sophomore in high school that I've been wrestling with this consciously. And I've thought about the wreckage it's caused in my life over my whole life, but also I've seen it in other people. And I'm convinced that what's missing for many disciples today 
who want intimacy with God but don't experience it is that we can often miss true Christ-like humility before God. And so I want to unpack the command that Paul gives us in Ephesians and the example that Jesus gives us of what humility really looks like. And the reason I want to do this is, like I said, to free you of the burden of pride. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble. I looked at the different translations to see if there was a loophole. It's the same in all of them. We're called to total humility. And I want to say this. Total humility doesn't mean that we're flawlessly humble all the time. It means that we're generally surrendered in every area of our lives. You don't have to have a flawless record to be completely humble. You just have to have a life that is generally submissive and totally... um, totally surrendered in every area. It's like giving God access, full access to your hard drive, the keys to the car, full access to your house. Every room is open to the Lord's cleansing and examination. So how do we do this? And what does it mean? This series as a whole is designed to help answer these questions. Starting with sphere one, abiding in Christ. And I believe that one of the major keys to Abiding humbly in Christ is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, which is about the humility of Christ himself. And it comes in between Matthew chapter 4, in which we see the call to the original apostles to come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Matthew 28 that says, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 11, I believe, is a key missing piece to a lot of us for learning Christ-like humility. So we're going to go into it. We're going to get into this passage. But before we do, I just want to say something about the title of this series, The Revolutionary Disciple. I think we called it this because people today on the right and the left are talking about a revolution. Have you heard it? And rightly so. But Jesus' way, humble way of life, is the only way to a lasting revolution. And I mean that. I don't just mean this as church talk or Christian language to talk about a metaphorical revolution. No, just as he's the actual king of the cosmos, he can actually lead to the only lasting revolution. In fact, it's a perpetual revolution if only we're awakened to it and reoriented to what God is already doing. And I think that that's the challenge here is we need our eyes opened and then we need our eyes opened again when we forget. So when we talk about the revolutionary disciple, we're first talking about Jesus, but then we too can become revolutionaries because of him and our surrender to him in every area of life. 
That's part of what makes it revolutionary. So Jesus as a disciple, it's kind of strange to think about Jesus being a disciple. But if a disciple is someone who learns, then Jesus was a disciple while he lived on earth. It says in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It also says in John 15, 15, Jesus says that everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is a disciple. But he's also revolutionary. He's the revolutionary because he overturned the world through his life and his revolution has passed through the millennia and transcended every other revolution in history. The paradox is that the way he overturned the world was through love and conversion, not force and coercion. Dallas Willard says in his book, The Allure of Gentleness, that the reason Jesus was so alluring was not in spite of his gentleness, but because of his gentleness. And this is something I'm learning so much about in my life right now, how gentleness changes the whole dynamic of a relationship. And Jesus embodied that in purest form. And here's the beautiful thing. He invites us to learn it from him as his disciples. Specifically, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when I talk about liberation from pride, this is what I'm talking about. So let's spend some time here because this is such a rich passage. First, he says, come to me, which is an invitation simply to be with Jesus. To not just stay and obey, but to enjoy and learn. And it's a surprising invitation from the king of the universe. So I've been thinking a lot about this with part of discipleship and how it matters for us as we make disciples and as we disciple our children too. Case in point, I guess you'll be hearing a lot about my daughter Emma when I preach and teach, but Emma has been singing this scripture song called Be Strong and Courageous. Does anyone know that song from Seeds Family Worship? So it's out that they've got this whole ministry of scripture song. So I'm going to sing a line from it to you to show you that even if you're not a great singer, you can still teach your kids worship. It goes like this. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. So we sing this song all the time. And she, she'll just be like, let's play the strong and courageous song. So I hit Spotify when I, I don't want to sing. And she knows all this. She's like, no, sing the, sing the man part. I'll sing the kids part. It's amazing. So we're at a neighborhood family movie night. And before the movie gets started, all the kids are kind of playing around. And, and um, there was like this, it's like this mini like pool of, of bubble liquid, you know, and one of those bubble makers that was like circular and had a wand. It was like, okay. So Emma's like, oh, bubbles, you know? So she, she's three. So she walks over, starts walking over there. And then she sees how, 
wild the other kids are being with the other ones. And she kind of pauses. It's kind of like Mike Neal with a ribbon. It's like, it's a little scary. (laughs) Stay away. So she pauses and she looks back at me like, what do you think about that? And I just look at her and I said, be strong and courageous, Emma. So she looks back at the bubbles. The guy's over here doing this. (laughs) She looks back at me and she walks over and she says, come with me. And so we walk over together and, and she ends up having a great time. Christ offers us come with me discipleship, which means relationship with Christ and his church. And here's what I want to say. What kills these relationships, unlike anything else, is our pride. It just obliterates those relationships. The problem is, is we don't realize that that's what's happening until the Lord convicts our hearts and says, can we talk? Come to me and learn from me. And I believe that the burden Christ offers to relieve us of when he offers rest is unrepentance due to pride. You know, when you look at the context of Matthew chapter 11, he, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. I performed all these miracles. And if anyone else in these other cities had seen this, they would have repented long ago. He says, but not you. And so he dusts the sand off of his sandals and he moves on. And then he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Pride says, I got it. I don't need help. But it's a burden. It's a burden to go it our own way when Christ offers us companionship, rest, and help. And here's the thing. Now that I know what it looks like in my heart and the burden that can be lifted from my heart, I see it in other people and my heart goes out to them and my heart goes out to those of us today who are burdened by this pride. Because it not only distances us from God, it divides churches, it splits up couples, it wrecks families, it can cause us to get fired from our job because we know the way to do it. And the worst is that in the spiritual realm, it isolates and makes us vulnerable to spiritual attack. Pride is the great enemy of discipleship. And when it comes to Satan's tricks with pride, he's a one trick pony. He works us from the inside out and encourages this inflated ego through idolatry of self with our seething yet subtle pride. And he just works it into our lives. We don't even see it. And so what I want to say is this, we all need help, guidance, and correction. That's what makes us disciples is that we've chosen to learn and submit ourselves to our teacher and king, Jesus. So why is it that we struggle with intimacy? It's this issue of, of, and I'm not saying that it's like, you need to rethink your entire life, right? So it's like, What are the areas of your life where you're struggling right now 
to submit to Christ. In other words, if you want that intimacy, I think Christ is like, yes. But he also calls us closer, which means some pruning. And so we forget that discipleship includes that sweet fellowship, right? Intimacy is great, but those of us who are married know that there's, there's the, the challenges of true intimacy. And so it's the same that discipleship includes fellowship with the son, but it also includes the pruning of the father. Jesus says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. In other words, we forget that God's good. And his pruning means producing fruit in our lives. It is painful. But we cannot be close with God until we accept the pain of the pruning. And this only comes through humble submission. And so I want to say this to those of you who are rugged individualists. It's like, way to go, you know. Um, Independence is a great character trait. But this kind of stark version of individualism that is really held up by our culture has the capacity to destroy intimacy with God. Dependency and humility and submission are not the headlines or the clickbait that these other things can be, but it is the way. And Christ says, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I love that it, he, he, he says at heart. Jesus had this vision of his life and what he was called to do and be. And we see all the stories, right? But we get this rare insight into his heart here. And he says, look, you might see pomp and circumstance and miracles, but at the end of the day, I'm humble in heart. He says, learn from me. So the first thing we do is we learn the heart of Christ. For those of us who like the black and white, the, you know, the math, it's real simple and clear. And Jesus says, learn my heart. And you're like, well, what do you, what do you mean learn your heart? And he's like, let's spend time together. To learn someone's heart goes beyond and transcends mere commands and instructions. And it, it frankly humbles us to even study someone's heart. And I love that because he's not giving a pat answer. He says, come learn a way of walking at the heart level. But here's the deal. While it starts at the heart level, it completes through action. I think this is a huge paradigm shift for how we understand real humility. Because we know in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Christ humbled himself. There are more actions combined with humility in the New Testament than just sort of character traits. He actively humbled himself by making a choice to not consider his deity something to be clingy with, but he made himself like us, a servant. And so I want to share with you a framework that's been super helpful for me in my recovery from pride, a journey which I am still on. And it's this, it's a definition 
of a humble disciple. And it's this. A humble disciple knows who they are before God at the heart level and chooses to go lower by serving, submitting, listening, and confessing. Think about all the people in your life who don't do these things. If someone doesn't listen, if they don't admit they're wrong, if they don't serve or submit to anyone, it's like, man, you're arrogant. It's like, yeah, they are. But the opposite is also true, that if we do these things, what's amazing is that starting at a heart level, that we're learning from Christ by abiding intimately with Christ, spending time with him, as Jay said, in in the word and through prayer and other things, Christ transforms our heart. But as we live out these actions of humility, these core actions of humility, not only does it reveal what God's doing in our hearts, but it further cultivates humility in our lives. It's hard to remain proud when you're cleaning up the trash. God changes us at the heart level, but also changes our hearts at the body level. And so to me, this is liberating because I am not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough to figure out the humility thing. I follow Christ even if I'm not feeling humble. And God does a work in us when we do that. And here's the deal. This is, this is why it's so exciting. Humility is a choice we can make. In Christ, we have the power to make it. And it's good for us. It's good for our church. It's good for the church, for the world, and our families. This revolution of the heart can literally change your life by freeing you from the burden of unrepentance due to pride. Praise be to God that we are set free from the law of sin and death. And we now live by the law of the Spirit. I've been thinking a lot about Acts chapter 26, verse 14 lately. So the story goes back to the story. I gave Emma the shortened version. And I'll give you just this snapshot version of what I've been thinking about. So... Saul is walking along the Damascus road. It says, under the authority and commission of the chief priest, he was persecuting Christians, locking them up, and for some, even killing them. And all of a sudden, a light from heaven shines around him, brighter than the sun, it says. And Jesus' voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he says this, and this is not in Acts, the version of the story in Acts chapter 9 or, verse, or chapter 22. It's repeated three times. Acts 26 has this unique part. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to live like this, isn't it, Paul? A goad is this sharp stick that, you know, herders and those who cared for animals would use to, it's like you prod an ox because they're an ox or a sheep. You, you use this sharp object to guide them, to correct them, to train them. And when the, but the animals who were irritated by the prodding would kick against the goad and it would hurt even more than what it would have hurt. And Jesus says, that's hard for you, isn't it? 
So what I want to say to you today and to me, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? It's a burden to bear the unrepentance due to pride. And it is okay to say, I'm sorry. It's okay to confess your faults and to admit your weaknesses, your inadequacies. And when you do, you experience the liberation and the light and easy burden that is discipleship in the humble and gentle way of Christ. You are free to lay it down. In James chapter four, I want to say this, the pain of kicking against the goads is greater than the pain of being purified by God. It's actually better. And James tells us this in chapter four. He says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you keep running into barriers? God is actually opposing you. Life isn't just hard for some of us who are motivated in this way by pride. You're fighting against God, but the opposite side of that coin is God gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, therefore, James says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's a promise. The barrier is here. And that's it. In Christ, we have the power to submit ourselves to God because of the work Christ has done in our lives. So as we begin this series about the revolutionary disciple Jesus, whom we follow, let me remind you of the invitation to all of us who are weary and burdened by our pride. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wanna give you time to respond as we sing. You can stay your seat and respond, or you can come to the altar and respond. What I wanna do is give us space. So let's come before the Lord. Let's humble ourselves and experience the liberation of God in Christ.